May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. You are my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. And I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. My question is this. Have you ever felt like you were in the presence of Jesus before? I'm guessing some of you might say yes. Some of you might be asking, what in the world are you talking about? I've actually had a number of times when I wondered if I was in the presence of Jesus. But I didn't realize it until I had walked away. One of those times was a number of years ago when I was in Atlanta, Georgia, at a youth specialties conference. Now, I love these conferences. There were thousands of crazy youth ministers who would show up. And it would be four days of wonderful workshops and worship. And you never knew what was going to happen at these youth specialties conferences. Simply, it was amazing. And I was filled with life during these times. And we would normally take a couple of our youth workers with us. But normally, um, participants would always receive an orientation, the first session that we would have. And they would tell us about the city. In Atlanta, they informed, informed us that there was a large homeless population and gave us advice on our personal safety. Now, I found this a little bit odd, but they did want us just to be safe as we navigated the city. I guess they were concerned about some of them being uh, aggressive or not. One of their thoughts were, don't make eye contact, don't speak to them. And honestly, I felt like this was a joke, that they were telling all these youth ministers not to be kind so that they could use that against us somewhere in the conference. Later that night, after dinner, um, two, two of our youth workers and myself, we had left a restaurant, and right as we walked out, it was at a top of a hill, and this homeless man, what appeared to be homeless, joined us. Now, my two friends, they listened really well to the instructions that were given to them, and they sped on, making no eye contact. I just had a problem with that to some degree, and because he was actually talking to me. And so I made eye contact, and as we're walking down this hill towards the hotel, something magical kind of happened. He was asking me a little bit about myself, my family, my work, my life. And I was engaged with him, and I was chatting with him, but the whole time I was engaged with this man, I kept thinking about, when is he going to ask me for something? Surely he's going to put his hand out at some point and want something. So I was more navigating, what's my response going to be, where I'll still seem like a nice guy and say no. We got to the hotel, and the gentleman said, I can't go any further, I'm not allowed on the premises. And so I knew that was the moment, that something was about to happen, and something did happen, but not like I expected. What he said was, I will be praying for you, and he listed off the things I had told him. And he told me, God bless you, and he turned around and walked away. At that moment, I was a little puzzled as I'm starting to walk up and into the hotel, and as I get to the door, I thought, oh my goodness. I've been in the presence of Jesus, and I didn't even know it. So I, my friends now, they, I don't even know where they were, but I think they were inside of the hotel at this point. I turned around, and I walked back to find this man, because at that point, I didn't care about the conference. 
I just wanted to get to know this man better. And he was nowhere to be found. And I walked away going, thank you, God. And I'm sorry for missing the opportunity to be, to be active in the present. Now, we hear in the Gospel of John about our disciples being in the presence of Jesus and sometimes not knowing it. There are four appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, four scenes of Christ revealed alive, four assurances that death could never constrain Jesus' life. First, we heard on Easter Day, we heard how Mary Magdalene encountered Jesus in the garden outside the tomb and mistook him for the gardener. But once Jesus said her name, Mary, she knew it was her Lord and her Savior. Last Sunday, we heard of two other accounts with Jesus. Late on Easter Day, Jesus appeared to the disciples, as we know, in the upper room, in the house where they had been staying. Only Thomas was missing and didn't believe. So Jesus, doing what Jesus did, he showed up again a week later, and this time Thomas was there. Thomas saw proof of Jesus' resurrection with his own eyes and confessed his belief in Jesus as my Lord and my God. But Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. These three appearances take place in Jerusalem in the days just following Jesus' death. The shock of the past week had dissipated, but Jesus, his, his disciples are still filled with fear, not quite on what to do next. They don't know what is coming. John does an amazing job illustrating how their fear and pain is gradually transformed into joy. Mary stands outside the tomb weeping because Jesus is dead, and in the next moment, she stands there weeping because he's alive. All of John 20 is filled with these kinds of experiences of deep despair, followed by an appearance of Jesus that brings both joy and hope. And the fourth and final appearance that John records is in chapter 21 that we just heard. And some time had passed away, but we don't know exactly how much time. But the disciples had left Jerusalem and returned to their home in Galilee, back to the safety of their countryside, and away from those terrible forces that Jesus confronted in the city, the chief priests and the Pharisees in the temple, and of course the Roman governor and his soldiers. Jesus' loyal followers are back home in an attempt to find a familiar routine and some sense of safety. But you get the sense that they don't know quite what to do with themselves or what to make of that, those strange appearances of Jesus. Peter decides to go fishing, and we're not surprised. And se several of the other disciples who were there offered to go with him on the boat. They don't have any luck, but the next morning, as they're coming back to shore, they find a man standing there to tell them to cast their net on the other side, on the right side of the boat this time. And of course, the man is Jesus. And of course, they haul in so many fish that their nets nearly tear. And Jesus invites them to sit down on the beach around the fire he has made to break bread with him once more the perfect end to a perfect journey, stretching from their calling to leave all that they had, all that they knew in the beginning of the Gospels. 
to the last supper, to the last meal on the beach. This is the final appearance of the risen Jesus that John records. But I don't believe that this is truly Jesus' last appearance. Sometimes I think that we need to look with our eyes of faith into the hearts of other believers. Then we might see Jesus in the oddest places, on the seashore, in the garden, on the street corner, at the Kroger and Prospect, and maybe even in Atlanta, Georgia. Sometimes Jesus is hungry and cold and asking us for money. Other times he's inviting us to sit down for an unexpected meal. But always, always Jesus is challenging us to live lives of kindness and compassion, of sharing and generosity, of justice making and peace. In a world, the abundant life that Jesus has brought us is love. That's the word that Jesus wants us to live out, is to care, love for those around us. It comes in a place from our heart. It comes from knowing the love that we have in a Savior. And the world needs this love. We just need to share that love with those around us. Have you ever noticed that some people have a hard time telling others that they love them? I don't seem to be that person, but there are people out there who, who have that issue. I mean, I can tell you right now that I love you and I mean it. But do you even know what that means? Sometimes we can say it so much that we're not sure exactly what that means. Even when you do love someone, sometimes we pause because we don't want to become vulnerable or it might make us a tad bit uncomfortable. One of the many things that I admire, many things I admire about Jesus, is he didn't just tell us that he loved us, he showed us that he loved us. Jesus showed us his sacrificial love and walking all the way to the cross for both you and for me. In our English language, we sometimes clarify the word love with other words. When we want to be more precise, we talk about romantic love or family love or brotherly love and so on. The Greek language does a much better job of this. As we can see in this intimate conversation that Jesus has with Peter after they finished breakfast, Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter answers him, well, Lord, of course, you know that I love you. But Jesus doesn't seem to be satisfied with his answer. So he asks Peter again, and Peter gives him the same answer. In fact, this exchange happens three times. Now, why would Jesus ask Peter this question three times? Again, the Greek language does a much better job. It turns out that the original Greek, Jesus and Peter are using completely different words for love. What Jesus actually asked Peter is, do you agape love me? Do you sacrificially love me? And Peter answers him, yes, Lord, you know that I feel you. That is brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. You know that I love you like a brother, agape and philia. Jesus wants agape, the kind of love that is life transforming, wholly consuming, that means committing beyond feelings. Agape is the self-giving love that sacrifices its own needs for the needs of others. The kind of love that God has for us, in other words. This is the love that Jesus showed for us on the cross. And Jesus is asking for this kind of love in return. But all Peter can offer is brotherly love at this point. Feel you. 
I have affection for you, Jesus. You know that. We shouldn't be too hard on Peter, though, right? Perhaps he was trying to, to be honest about the kind of love that he was capable of having at that point. Peter, Peter, Peter saw Jesus' brutal death with his own eyes. So he's well aware of what can result from too much of that agape love. Letting go of yourself for the good of others isn't always easy. And it must be a calling from within. A remarkable and beautiful thing happens at the end of this exchange, though. The first two times Jesus asked questions, he says, Do you agape love me? And Peter answered, Lord, I feel you like a brother. I love you. But the third time Jesus asked, he changes the question and uses philia instead of agape. The same word for, for love that Peter had been using all along. But Peter, if you look in the, in the reading, is hurt by this exchange. He might be just a little bit embarrassed by this. Jesus lowered his expectations. But in reality, there is no need for embarrassment. The point is that Jesus loves us enough to meet us where we are. If all we can do is offer brotherly love, feel your love, then Jesus will meet us there and keep walking with us. Jesus knows that the agape love which holds, that God holds together the universe is more than enough to go around. It can, hold, it can make up for all our weaknesses in love. As we walk with Jesus, our hearts grow more open. God's agape love comes pouring in until we're so full of this agape, sacrificial love, that it starts to flow out into this world. This is the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. Will we follow him into it? In the same encounter on the beach, Jesus gives Peter, the very disciple who denies him on the night of his arrest, a chance to redeem himself. As we may recall, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times the night before his crucifixion. Now we see Jesus asking Peter if he loves him in the same number of times, three distinct times. When Peter finally says, yes, Jesus tells him, feed my sheep. The lesson taught by this exchange is this. It is one thing to say that you love Jesus, but the real test is the willingness to serve him. Peter has repented but that's the first step of the process. Here, Jesus is asking him to take on the second step, to commit his life to following Jesus. Peter's, Peter's life has changed now that he finally recognizes who Jesus is. Peter's life now, his occupation has changed from fisherman to evangelist. His identity has changed from reckless to rock. And his relationship to Jesus has changed. He is forgiven. And he finally understands the significance of Jesus' words about his death and his resurrection. But with this knowledge comes a responsibility to follow Jesus by feeding his sheep, by feeding his lambs, by taking care of his flock. Jesus asks us, do you love me? What is our answer and what is our response to this question? If it's yes, I love you. He's asking us to go out and feed his sheep as a response to his radical love for us. He's asking us to look not at only our own needs, but the needs of others. 
And like me, you might be surprised on who you might meet when you're caring and loving for others. You might even meet Jesus himself. Who is it in your life that Jesus is asking you to love? Who is it in your life that Jesus says, feed my sheep, go into the world? Don't be embarrassed. Don't hold back. Go running with all that you have to care for those who Jesus has put in your path. And I guarantee you will see Jesus in the process. It's beautiful because Jesus says, I love you. Feed my sheep. Amen. Let us stand together.